the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus is the first fruit guaranteeing the entire harvest. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to tell you a love story, a Pentecost love story. begins in the book of Judges. It ends in the book of Revelation. There was a famine in the land. And famines often came during the time of the judges as a, as a way of God dealing with his people. One man from Bethlehem in Judea dealt with the famine by simply leaving Judea, leaving Bethlehem, the house of bread. There was no bread in the house, and so he bailed. And he took his wife and his two sons, and he went to live in the country of Moab. Now, Moab means son of fornication. Moab in the scripture is a place of death. It is the world. The man, Elimelech, and his wife named Naomi had two sons. They went to Moab to live there. Now, there are similarities for today. Today, many Christians have gone to Moab to live because there's no bread in the house of God. For the last 50 years, there's been no bread in the house of the Lord. Instead, there's been entertainment, strategies for success, the church becoming an institutional business, the pastor becoming a CEO, a program manager. Social issues have taken the forefront in many churches like the United Methodist Church, and they have utterly cast off 
John Wesley and his teachings. The church has a famine going on right now. As Elimelech lives in Moab, believing that he will be able to return to Bethlehem when he chooses, when there is once more bread in the house. But it's a very difficult journey from Moab back to Bethany or Bethlehem. It's much easier leaving than it is coming. Naomi's husband, Naomi meaning grace, meaning beautiful. Naomi's husband dies. And now she has two sons who can work and support her. In that day, women did not work outside of the house. Usually in the Jewish culture, they stayed home and took care of the family two sons. They marry Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. Neither women had a child. And then the two sons, they too grow sick and they die. I am stunned by how short our time is here on the earth, how uncertain our time is. We live under the illusion that we have forever, but we don't. Our time here is very short. And our actions have very severe consequences. If we leave the house of God, if we leave holiness, if we leave righteousness, if we leave the straight and narrow path, we may well die before we can return. Some of you today, if I were to ask you, are you walking the narrow path? You would answer, I'm trying, but I'm not doing it very well. You live in Moab, don't you? Because that's where the worldly success is. That's where the money is. Well, now Naomi is left without a protector. She is left barren in the land of Moab, a dangerous place, a place of death, of fornication, of wickedness. Both her two sons and her husband have died. And now this woman who was called Grace says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. She was angry that her husband and sons had died and left her alone. She has two daughters, daughters daughters-in-law, She hears that there is now once more bread in Bethlehem. 
And she makes the very difficult decision that she will go back to Bethlehem. Now, this is not a a slight journey. This is close to a week-long journey of walking through dangerous desert terrain, through mountainous crags, through the heat, the stifling heat. She tells her daughters-in-law, I'm going back home to to Bethlehem. There's bread there. And her two daughters-in-law who live with her prepare with her to return home. And they leave Moab on what is called the King's Highway, running from Syria to the Gulf of Aqaba. They have just over 50 miles to walk. They don't have donkeys to ride. They have to carry whatever they're going to carry, the clothes and perhaps a bag each, food for the journey, perhaps some silver for the journey. They get on the king's highway and they walk to the border of Moab and there Naomi says to her two daughter-in-laws, you need to go back home. You need to go back to your mother's house. They will receive you. And may the Lord show kindness to you, even as you have shown kindness to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. In other words, find a man you can love who will love you and live a peaceful life. I have nothing more to offer you. She kisses them tenderly. All three weep loud weeping and said to her we will go back with you to your people but Naomi says no 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 return home my daughters why would you come with me am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, 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 my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. I want you to get the picture. They're standing on the king's highway that will take them back to Israel, to the road that will take them to Jericho, and from there on into Jerusalem and Bethlehem, 
And she's saying, you need to go home. Go back to your mother's. I have nothing to offer you. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. I have to stop and ask you the question. Has the Lord's hand gone out against you? Have you suffered loss in this world? I was praying this morning. And I said, Lord, has your, has your hand got out against me? Is that why I lost my precious Jan? Has your hand gone out against me? Is that, has it been my sin? I wept before the Lord. We spoke yesterday about the wounding of our hearts. And some of you would quickly say, oh, no, 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 no. My heart's never been wounded. God has never wounded me. If you say that, may I say to you, please, in all kindness and mercy, if you have not recognized the wounding of your heart by Almighty God, you have been unconscious. You have been so full of the world and the flesh and the devil that you've not been able to discern the hand of the Lord as it has dealt with you in all his kindness and mercy. It is not his will to wound any man, but it's very clear from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that God will wound us. And if he has not wounded you, it is because you are not yet a child of his, or you are just so utterly unconscious that you don't recognize the wounding of God in your spirit. I have recognized the wounding of God. But I want to tell you what I heard in my prayer time as I cried out to the Lord over this issue. The Lord said, Yes, I've wounded you, Ray, because I love you. I love you. And I have to tell you, I have experienced very severe loss in my life. I shared yesterday, I've lost my wife. I lost a son. I've lost precious friends that I loved with all of my heart. They have become angry. It's okay. I want to tell you what the result is. The Lord has brought about a harvest of righteousness in my life because I've been willing to not become bitter, but to recognize the discipline of God upon my life. I don't know how to tell you this except to say that, that after these things have happened, I have become a different man. I have grown immensely in my walk with Jesus. He has humbled and broken my heart. 
And I trust him. I trust what he's doing in my life. Because it's his life now. It's not mine anymore. It's his. I want to tell you, the hand of the Lord only comes out against hardened sinners. He will wound, but it's not his hand coming out against. He wounds because he loves. He disciplines because he loves. The Lord has not cast me off, and he has not cast you off, or you would not be listening to this broadcast. There is something in your spirit that is being called by the Holy Spirit. That's why I want to share this incredible love story with you. Orpha, and Orpha means stiff-necked. She kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. I want to tell you, it takes more than tears to follow Jesus. It takes more than, than words to follow Jesus. Words are cheap. People have said to me, oh, pastor, I love you. You're my brother. You're my father. And then they've left. Words are cheap. It's interesting, my dad. I used to try to talk to him on the telephone, and he didn't like to talk on the telephone. He was an old-timer. And he'd say to me, I'm glad you say you love me, Ray. But if you love me, come see me. Then I'll know you love me. <laughs> That's the only way my dad knew I loved him. I had to go and spend a week with him at his house and do garden work with him and do repairs in the, in the place he lived. For him, it meant action. Words are cheap. Actions are not. Actions are the result of the true feelings of the heart. So stiff-necked Orpha said, I love you. You're my mother. But when it came to the border of Moab, she said, no. Okay, I'll go back. I'll go back and worship God my own way. I'll go back and live in my cave. I'll adopt the practices of the pagans and the heathens. And so she turned with tears and headed back the way she had come to find her mother and her father to find a pagan husband. She said she loved Naomi and that she would go with Naomi 
back to her people, but she would not. It was too hard a journey for her. I've met many Naomi's who were bitter. I've met many, many Orphas who are stiff-necked, who will not submit to the rigors of the journey to heaven. The narrow road, the narrow path can be very, very painful. Very dangerous. So Orpha returns home. Now Naomi says, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Ruth's reply is a classic. She said, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This vow has great meaning for me, because my late wife said this to me as her wedding vow. She was coming out of a place where she had left Jesus. And now she was returning to him. She had left because of the bitter treatment she had received in the church. And so her wedding vow don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's an amazing wedding vow. It's the vow that Ruth made to Naomi. Please understand that a wedding vow has deep significance. And when you make that vow, it's for life. It is not for divorce. And if you break that wedding vow, you are under a very severe judgment from God. Now, it is possible for you to repent. Turn to 
to repent of that great sin. But I want to tell you, divorce is a great sin against Almighty God. He hates it. Marriage is not a a business arrangement. And a wife does give herself to her husband. Have you ever wondered why a wedding, the bride is all decked out in her beautiful gown and everything centers around the bride's wishes? I'll tell you why. Because when a bride marries a husband, it is her funeral. Because she now is going to become one with the man she is marrying. And he will be the head of the household. And she will submit to him. Now that's not popular in our culture today. We want to pretend that men and women are equal, but their functions, frankly, are very different. She comes as a helpmate to her husband. One precious woman is divorcing her husband because he's moving to Dallas and she doesn't want to go. She has her life and her career here. Needless to say, she is not a Christian. She doesn't understand this vow that I've just read to you that is the most sacred vow of love. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separate you and me. When this vow was made, Naomi realized that Ruth was not going to turn back. That her vow was so powerful. Naomi recognized that she was a daughter forever until death would separate them. So the two women went on across the king's highway until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. And they said, can this be Naomi? And Naomi responded, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty, the El Shaddai, has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. 
the Lord, El Shaddai, the one who is in total charge and provides all that we have. El Shaddai has brought misfortune upon me. This was a, a long and arduous journey. Perhaps they made it in a week. It may have taken them longer. They may have had to stop in some restful place and recuperate. It doesn't tell us how long it took them to make that 50-mile trek. But Naomi's heart is utterly broken. And she is bitter. She's angry. How could God treat me this way? She went away full. A husband and two sons. Financial resources. And now she's been stripped of everything. She has nothing but she does have something. She has a daughter-in-law who loves her. And she has a Lord God Almighty who loves her. She says she's come back empty, but she's not come back empty. She's come back hungry. And there is bread in Bethlehem. She's missing her sons. She's missing her husband. She doesn't know how she'll survive. She has no one who will provide for her. Utter, tragic misfortune has come upon her. And in that place, if that's where you are today, and frankly, that's where I am today. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. But I've lost everything. Misfortune. And we have to recognize if we have lost everything, did we lose everything because we tried in our flesh? We tried to go to Moab. We tried to provide for ourselves. And when we try to provide for ourselves, we lose everything. I was with Brother Ed Pugh this morning as we were sitting outside crying out to the Lord for you for this broadcast. We both acknowledged before the Lord that we are totally dependent upon him. We are utterly, completely for our very lives dependent upon El Shaddai. And we both, with joy in our hearts, 
Choose to utterly submit to him. Choose to not go our own way, to not create our own desires, not to create our own world, but to utterly depend on El Shaddai, on Jesus, the Messiah. I ask my brother Ed, do you have any anger in your heart? He said, no. I don't either. I have forgiven and I have forsaken and I walk in Jesus. Can you make that same confession with me? That you have lost everything and that now you wait on Jesus because he's everything for you. He's El Shaddai. He's your provider. He's your husband. He is the one you love. I tell you, in all honesty, there is nothing in the world so sweet as a person who is willing to join another on the journey toward the celestial city. I meet many people, and this one is interested in a new job, and this one is interested in in a house, and another one is interested in buying a boat, Another one is interested in travel and vacation. What a joyous thing it is to find a man or a woman who is now utterly and totally dependent upon El Shaddai, who is utterly dependent on Jesus and who has no side interest but is utterly given to follow Jesus and to call the husband or the wife or the children or the friends, come and follow Jesus with me. Oh, pastor, I can't, I can't do that. I've got to, I've got to make money. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Don't you realize how short this probationary time on earth is? And what you do now will determine where you spend eternity, and eternity is a very long time. Eternity is forever. And what joy it brings to my heart when a man or a woman says to me, I'll walk with you. I'll journey with you on this pilgrimage toward heaven. Who says, 
all is well with my soul. I'm walking in the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ. You see, the church is the company of people who have made this vow with Ruth, except they've made it to Jesus and they've made it to each other. This is called the church. There's no distraction. Everything that a person does is focused in Jesus. Whether it's work, whether it's leisure, whatever it is, it's focused in Jesus. He's everything to us. He's El Shaddai. He's the Almighty. It is from his hand that we eat. It is from his hand that our breath comes. It is from his hand that all of our relationships come from. I don't want any relationships that are not founded in this Ruth covenant. Words are cheap. Tears are cheap. It's actions that count. What are your actions toward Jesus? And what are your actions toward your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Have you made that that covenant that Ruth made to Jesus? Or are you, like Naomi, filled with bitterness, angry, because you can't you can't have your way? You feel like you've lost everything. I feel like that too. But my heart's not bitter. It's broken. And I'm very grateful to Almighty God. And I've made this Ruth vow to Jesus. And I've made this Ruth vow to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not going to cut them off. I'm not going to walk away. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm on that narrow path. And frankly, it's a joyous path. Can you imagine the fear, the anticipation that Ruth must have felt as she asked Naomi all kinds of questions about what it would be like and would they accept her? Would she be loved? Did did Naomi think it would be possible for her to be married? Would any Jewish man be interested in a, a Moabitess? And the obvious answer is no. No. 
Jewish men are not allowed to wear to marry Moabite women. So with all of her questions, she comes. And one of the things that she had heard from Ruth is that there was a law that said the poor, and she was poor. She had nothing. She had no food to eat. Naomi was going to starve to death if she didn't take care of her. There was a law that Naomi told her about where she could go out and glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, I want to tell you, and it gets much more exciting as we go tomorrow into this in depth. At the beginning of the barley harvest, two sheaves of grain were brought for the feast of the unleavened bread. And they were brought Unleavened bread represented sacrifice, hardship. These sheaves of grain were lifted up before the Lord in a wave offering. They were the offering of the first fruits. And the Apostle Paul called Jesus the first fruits. When Jesus died on Calvary, it was at the same time that the high priest waved the grain offering, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was that first fruit in his death and then in his resurrection. Now, the offering of the first fruits was also an assurance that the entire harvest would come. It was a guarantee, if you please, before God that he would give to them the full harvest. The full harvest was celebrated at Pentecost when now the priest took two loaves of leavened bread. Leaven does not always represent sin in Scripture. Leaven can also represent Delicious, wonderful bread, joy, celebration. It is the absolute birth of the church. Two loaves, Jews and Gentiles, the assurance that the harvest would take place 
And on the day of Pentecost, the church is formed for the first time. And it is formed by the Holy Spirit. And it is the guarantee, the harvest of the earth. It is a love story that goes from the cross to the resurrection. It is the assurance that the harvest is going to happen. It is Pentecost, 50 days after the waving of the two handfuls of the first fruit. And now we come Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit who is the Lord of the harvest who is the comforter who is the teacher of all that Jesus brought to us who helps us understand our place as we read the scriptures we have not been left We are not bitter. We are humbled and we are hungry. And the harvest is on. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty El Shaddai has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Do you know why she came back empty? Because she had gone to Moab. When you go to Moab, you get stripped of everything. And all of us have dwelt in Moab. And it's necessary that we come back to the house of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We must eat the broken body of Jesus. It is our food. It is everything to us. And you must come back empty of Moab. You must confess that you are broken before God by sin, by Moab, by fornication, by wickedness. And we come and there's bread in Bethlehem. We just have a minute left in this broadcast. But I'm hearing I need to pray for you. Some of you today are in bitterness. Some of you are just heartbroken because you've lost everything. Some of you are are receiving and eating with joy the bread of heaven. I rejoice with you. Some of you have made that vow that Ruth made. You've made that vow to Jesus, and you've made that vow to your brothers and sisters you're walking with. And you're not Mara. Let's pray. Lord, I lift up today those who are Naomi, who are Mara, 
who have dwelt so long in their own sin. They've tried so hard to provide for themselves. They've been deceived by the modern church, thinking that they had to always be a sinner, that they could never be washed and made clean by the blood. Lord, I pray for every bitter heart today listening. Would you come with your mighty power and would you give them the courage to make this Ruth vow to you, Jesus? And would you bring them bread to eat? And Lord, I pray for every person today who is brokenhearted that you will heal that broken heart and restore to them the joy of your salvation. I pray that you will be their provision their food and water. And Lord, I thank you for those who are walking clean before you today, who are rejoicing in the vow they've made to you and the way they are able by your power, by faith in the blood of Jesus, to walk clean before you and their family. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'd love to hear from you. It's been very slow so far this month with offerings, and we are coming toward the end of the month, and we're far from being able to pay the radio bill. So would you consider that gift to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast? Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. If you owe back to